Hey guys, before we jump in, I want to remind you that at the end of every year, we give an opportunity for you to give back to the Dad Tired Ministry. We only do this at the end of every year. We try not to bombard you. But if you have been impacted by the Dad Tired Ministry in any way, and you feel like you want to give back and make a tax-deductible contribution, we would love your support. We are trying to raise $20,000. This week uh, was our first week of trying to launch that. We raised a little less than $300, which is awesome, but obviously well short of our goal. So uh, if you want to impact the ministry and see God continue to grow the dad tired ministry to reach more men for the sake of the gospel. We would love your help. Again, this is a tax deductible donation and uh, it really helps us support us all year long. So if you want to do that, you can go to dadtired.com forward slash give and you can make a tax deductible contribution there. I love you guys. Let's dive into today's episode. How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lopes. Join me every Monday as we dive into what it looks like to be men who fall in love with Jesus and help our families do the same. You can learn more about our books, resources, conferences, and even online community by going to dadtired.com. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. So good to be back here with you. A little while back, I had asked the women of the Dad Tired Podcast, which I know there are a lot of women who sneak in here. Totally fine. No problem. We love uh, all the wives and moms who are sneaking in here to listen. No problem on that. But I had asked the wives and the women, I, uh, what does it look like practically for your husband to lead your family well? Like, what, what is your husband doing in your mind that would make you say, man, he's doing a really good job at leading our family? I asked that question, literally got hundreds of answers back. And without fail, the majority of the answers that came back were wives and women, moms, saying, when my husband prays with me and he prays with the kids, it makes me feel really loved and it makes me feel like he's leading our family really, really well. And uh, and I just know, man, a lot of uh, the the men who are part of our dad tired community, they want to pray with their wives more. They want to pray with their kids more. And yet they just don't really feel like they know how it's intimidating to them. They haven't prayed out loud. It's just a, it's an uncomfortable thing for them to do, but I know they're committed to trying to do it more. The reason I bring all this up is because today's sponsor is Backgate Prayers. They've literally been a sponsor with the dad tired show for years. And every year that we've worked with them, it has been a huge success in the dad tired community. What they do is they they create these beautiful custom prayer cards. So you can send them in a picture of your child or your children, or you can send them in a, pic- a picture of you and your wife or just your wife, whatever you want to do, whatever picture makes most sense for you. Uh, and then they will create these custom prayer cards, 20 beautiful custom prayer cards. They sit on this little wooden block that you can put on your desk or a mantle or something. And they just give you prompts every day with scripture that you can look through these cards. You can switch out a new card every day. You can look at the picture of your kids or you can look at the picture of your wife. And every day you're reminded, oh man, I need to be praying for and with my kids. I need to be praying for and with my wife. And these things, they look, even if you just put them in your house as decoration, everyone that comes over is going to be like, man, these look really good. What are these? Tell us about that. But even bigger than that, man, they remind you to step up as the spiritual leader of of your home and to pray with your wife and to pray with your kids. So uh, I I just, I can't tell you how much I love this company. I love what they're doing. They've been a partner of ours for a long time and they create really, really beautiful reminders for men, uh, in particular for this episode, to step in and to really pray with and for their kids. So if you want to get connected with what they've got going, uh, I highly recommend that you go to backgateprayers.com. Again, that's backgate 
prayers.com. And then you can use the promo code dadtire10 and they'll actually give you 10% off. Um, but you need to get these in quick if you want them by Christmas. They make an incredible Christmas gift. A lot of the Dad Tired guys have gotten them for their wives uh, and for Christmas and or Mother's Day even. And they always end up being a hit. But in order for you to get them on time, you got to make sure to go to backgateprayers.com, use the promo code dadtire10, get that 10% off. That being said, let's dive in to today's episode. Morgan, so excited to have you here today with us, man. For the audience who may not be familiar with you, tell us who you are and what you're up to these days. Yeah, Jared, thanks so much. I'm super stoked to be with you. I, When I was prepping and praying for our podcast, this memory came back to me. Um, I haven't thought about this in years, but I was a junior in college, and I had had a radical um change into a life with God. I didn't grow up in that world. I didn't know that world. Um, Deep conversion of sorts. And I was an econ major, uh, human organizational development. And I remember thinking, where do you go to learn about being a husband and a father? Like, where do they teach those things? I spent all my life in school and now I'm at this prestigious university And no one's ever said, here's how you learn how to be a husband, a father. And Jared, I remember thinking, that's all I want. All this stuff I'm chasing. I I just remember thinking, and I was in my early 20s, probably 21. And I said, if I could win at home, if I could love well and love deeply, that, that would be a life worth living. And I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And so it's funny that you asked that question because that started me on pilgrimage and I was responding to God's initiative, though I didn't know it at the time. I was led West. I met John Eldridge and he hadn't even written Wild at Heart. He actually finished writing it in a minivan driving to officiate my wedding with my <laughs> wife, Sherry. So um, I met him and, and got started. I sat in his class and he laid out a gospel that was big enough for my heart to live in for the first time in my life, big enough Mm -hmm. for every dream and every pain and every longing and desire and a story worth living. And so I, I just came to him and said, I'm ready to learn. Like, where do I sign up? How do I find this path? And he said, what are your questions? And so that began over two decades ago. And those questions led me to the feet of over 75 sages. It led me on a wild path over these 20 years to recover the ancient path that leads to life. Nothing new, but newly recovered. Every generation loses it and every generation finds it, uh, Chesterton said. And so I'm after its recovery and I feel like I found a treasure and I want to share it with other men who want what I want. Yeah, man, that was so beautifully said. And even in, you know, your two minutes of kind of describing that, um, I imagine there are a lot of guys who are listening whose hearts like, they don't even fully know what they're longing for, but something in there just like fluttered. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, oh man, what you just described, I think is what I want. I've never maybe been able to put words to that, but I even talking about like the gospel that's big enough for my dreams and like all this stuff, like all the, all the things that I, that's going on in my brain as a man, yes. the gospel that we've been presented for most of us as men in our local churches, if we're being just totally honest doesn't feel that big. 
and doesn't feel like it can encompass all that. And so like unpack that for us. Like when you're talking about that kind of like that longing for a man, uh, you know, go a layer deeper for us. Sure. Well, life has a story nature to it. We live in story. We are born into a story and we find ourselves halfway through a story. And I would say, let me start with pain, Jared. You know, most men, including myself, often, if we just do an assessment of our heart, of how we are doing as a man, often we will feel something like I'm behind. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's sometimes it's unnamed. Sometimes it's very hard to be specific, but it's I'm behind, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm behind in my fitness. I'm behind in my finances. I'm behind in my relationships. I'm listening to this podcast because I need something to catch up, yeah. right? Or it's a sense of fundamentally, and now I'm digging deep, like life is up to me. Mm. Whatever needs to happen, whatever the storyline is, it's up to me. I'm at the center of that story. And Jared, I I say it with compassion because we're, we're, we're living in an era of humanity where that's center stage, where the big me. Um, is is a term used by, um, you know, D- David Brooks was the first one to coin that term, a writer for the New York Times. But it's a self-centered view of reality. But that's not the story in which we were born. And as Dallas Lord says, reality is what we bump into when we're wrong. Mm. And so it's really helpful to know reality. I ran into a glass wall moving an office desk years ago. I never saw it. But it found me and I flew backwards. I looked like a raccoon for four days. That was a real wall, whether I believed it or not. Well, the reality is we're born into a story and we are fashioned from the essence of a God that's deeply masculine and deeply feminine. He's the headwaters of all things that we have come to understand as gender. That's very important. You and I will be men forever, not just for our life in this world, but for eternity. And Jared, when we try that on and realize we will be men forever, our soul has a masculine nature to it. And there's something that God is whispering and bringing to the world through us as men that's unique to masculinity. It's what makes us most deeply come alive and it's most deeply what we bring to the world, generally as men and uniquely as the man God made us to be. And so those desires are latent. They have been surrendered, they've been assaulted, they've been confused, but they are in there. And so desire reveals design and design reveals destiny. And so I think what I would say in summary is if it's true that nature has a story form to it, and if it's true that we are men or women, fundamentally on the level of our soul, and we will be forever, then the desires of our heart as a man must matter. And they must be tended to, fought for, and restored if we're ever to recover our joy and our purpose for life in this world and the next. Yeah. So, uh, I live in Portland, Oregon and, uh, very progressive thinking Mm -hmm. out here in Portland. Right. Uh, and kind of, 
I think on the coasts, both East and West coast, they kind of lead in the progressive thoughts and then it kind of works its way inland. Um, and so even what you just said, uh, I agree, but I know to some in 2020, 2021, 2022, that's going to like prick some ears, right? Like, Oh man, that does, you know, I, is that true? Is that right? Are we supposed to say that? And I think a lot of guys, especially in the church, we're like, we know that we yeah. know that there's like been an assault on our masculinity. We know that there's that, that by God's design, we have been created uniquely man and masculine. And yet in 2020, it's a conversation that isn't being had very much because yeah. it's kind of a risky conversation. Yeah. And two, because of that, it feels kind of muddy. And yep. to to most of our thinking, like, okay, I, I I think I believe that God has created me uniquely male and man and masculine and and I, I think that's right, and I but I'm not really talking about that much. And so what does that even mean? So I guess in your twenty years of exploring this with the sages, like what are some of the fundamental things that you've come to just believe like when God created male and we're and we're talking to a dominantly male audience right now. So what are some of the things that have been confused that I, that you feel like, man, if, if a guy could get back to these things in the core of their masculinity, they'll start to come alive again. Yeah, that is a very, very deep question. And that is a very important question. And so, I mean, you're going after the mother load, like way to go. And it's a short podcast, but I want to honor it because it's the question in a way. Um, I think I'd start here. So in preparation for another podcast last week, I got on Google and looked at the news and I asked this question, top 10 stories on a random day. How many of those stories was the fundamental storyline below the surface? This, a man mishandling power. Mm. And it was eight out of 10. Wow of the top stories on a random day on Google. And Jared, I think that's really important because of course it's muddled. Of course the world's ambivalent because so much harm has come through what's been labeled as masculinity, Mm. both in omission of, of withdrawing, of not, of failing to act and commission. But it's either true or it's not. And I think what I want to ask is, um, is it worth the gamble of finding out what's true? Dallas Willard says, truth can be tested and over time be found to be reliable. And that's the brilliance of Jesus. His whole life can be practiced and applied and you can find it to be reliable. You can put your whole life on God without a backup plan. And it will prevail Mm. because that's the nature of reality. And so if it's true, then there's, first of all, a lot of sorrow for the harm that's been done in the name of masculinity. And there's repentance there. But what we have to get to is what's what's the cause? What's the issue? What's the underlying challenge there? And and so what what I'd want to do in our time here, I think the easiest way to get to it is if it's true that we're gender to the level of the soul, then there are pieces of God that we express that are um, 
more fundamentally feminine or masculine. Now we all are the Imago Dei. And so these are not exactly black and white categories. There is a graduation. I don't want to oversimplify it, but in general, in general, I say this with humility, women bleed in the arena of relationship and fundamentally fear abandonment expressed in relational loss as a central expression of being a woman. And that's very different than men. Men hurt in those ways, but men fundamentally bleed in the area of failure. Mm. It, it comes down to success and failure and in needing to achieve some sort of um measurable outcome that gives some sort of validation. And in those two arenas, the search is the same. It's a longing for love. It's a longing for belonging, for acceptance, but it expresses itself in fundamentally different ways. And if you want to begin to unpack this, just look at little boys and little girls. Before the world has formally and informally trained them and trained gender out of them, what do they do? And I'll give one specific example. You know, 2007 and 2009 mark some of the most horrific challenges um, that entered the world for the human soul through social media. 2007 was the introduction of the iPhone, and 2009 was the introduction of the like button. And what the technology world did not understand, you can watch Social Dilemma and they put words to it, is they didn't understand what they were unleashing. And the, the, the evidence is out in research, the correlation with anxiety and depression among teenagers is just exponentially growing. And you can mark it with those days. Now, here's the key. The expression in little girls and little boys is very different. Boys are not being as directly harmed by the effects of social media. And fundamentally, again, these are not caricatures or generalizations, but they're, they're just um, categories. Boys gravitate towards video games and they are doing online gaming. And in that, they're expressing parts of this thing to, to conquer and to prevail and to win and to fight. And, and so there's some goodness in it, not all good, but there's some good. Girls are fundamentally gravitating towards social platforms that are digital relationships, things like TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat. And it's been utterly destructive to their souls because it's not, and there's all sorts of reasons why, and I won't go into it now, but fundamentally girls and boys have been given the same technology, but they're doing very different things on it. And it's simply an example that in general, it's expressing itself in very gender specific ways. And therefore our restoration, our caring for human souls must be tended to on the level of gender. Man, so much to unpack here. Um, I wish we had like 15 part series, but I know you have a podcast, so we'll recommend guys to that. Yeah, and obviously yeah. you have a book. And out. I'd love to come back and, yeah. and be with you again. Yeah. I love what you're doing. I appreciate it, man. One, one thought I had as you were sharing was thinking through, okay, so if we, we're kind of on the, we're in the middle of restoration, right? Like God is redeeming all things back yeah. to the way he designed things to be. But when, you, when you're thinking through that um, generalization of, of a man kind of 
um, trying to think of the best way to say this, as you said it, like what motivates us is that success and failure, right? Oftentimes for men. So when you, when you go back to its original design, God created us, man, without sin, without the fall. Talk, talk to me through like, why did God create that? Is that what part of that is like pure and good and godly and, and what part of God's characteristics, uh, in its purest form, you know, go into a man to have this desire to be, uh, that, that success and failure. I guess when, when you strip it all down and you take away the sin and the fall from it, where yes. is it, where is it operating? Well, yes. Yeah. Great question. I think, um, I think where I go with that is, you know, Winston Churchill was, it was said of him that no one became more of what they didn't have. It's very fascinating. It was relating to him with a father. He lacked a father mm-hmm. and he became a father to many. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's just a beautiful picture of when the gospel touches a human soul. I'm thinking about Psalm 23, when David, who's young, but he is a shepherd. He literally spends his days in the dark, in the light, in the fields, protecting a flock from harm, from accident, to keep care for their well-being. Mm. And so there he cries out, God, you are a shepherd. You are literally my best friend is the Greek, or is the Hebrew translation of that. Because of you, I live in abundance. And he's literally saying, I know you as a father, as a shepherd, because I am a shepherd. And I know what it's like. I'm learning what it's like to be a shepherd. And so what I would say is we are meant to become who we were created to be. That one of the most powerful movements of the heart of a man is to become a son. Receiving God as a father. We, we all learn him wrong because of the fall, because of a broken world. And we have to go through a process of unlearning and receiving God, not as we've learned him, but as he truly is now making himself available to us. Mm. And so the invitation is to become a son so that we can become a father and we can actually offer to the world that which we might have lacked and to actually manifest the father heart of God to the world. And so I think one of the ways that's really important to come to know God and be curious is God as a father, not as a theological idea, but actually to become the kind of person that in my body, in my soul, when things go wrong, when there's financial crisis, when my family gets COVID and we all get quarantined again, what I feel is abundance and not scarcity? What I feel is courage and not fear. What I feel is that I'm responding to a divine affection and I'm not trying to arrange to make life work on my own terms. And so, Jared, I really believe as we come to be curious about God as father, we come to know him on a way that we really embody it. And that's what we end up bringing to the world, a strength that doesn't need to be validated from what we do. We can, we can offer in love, we can risk heroically and not rely on circumstances and outcomes for our validation. You said something in your book, you've talked about something that your son said to you that really 
shaped or had an impact on the way that you see yourself as a son. Uh, yes. Can you t- tell us that story? Yeah, it's a holy moment. Uh, I was in 2008 and I just dropped my wife off um, at a psychiatric hospital. It was the worst day of my life. Mm. And I sat in my Ford Explorer in the parking lot in a pile. I was, I was, I was broken. And I felt like I was losing everything that mattered to me. And so my wife had severe anxiety and depression, and we were chasing help, doing everything we could. We ended up in Illinois, three miles away from where we had our first kiss on the altar of our wedding day. And she was breastfeeding our youngest child, Abigail. And so her parents graciously said to me, I think you need to take a road trip and just, you can't help your wife right now, but give your son a summer. And it was Jared, my my in-laws way of basically saying, you are very unhelpful right now. Mm. So the best thing you could do is flee the area. (laughs) And um, I now, for the first time in my life, had enough humility to say yes to that. So we drove to my childhood home in Pennsylvania and ironically, Ironically, we ended up in my childhood home, in my childhood neighborhood, my childhood story. And I felt about eight years old. Mm. The, the, the uninitiated part of the boy in me that hadn't been fathered was surfacing. I didn't understand that, but that's what was happening. And so I returned something for my dad at Home Depot and I put my son in the truck. And it was a hot summer day. And on the way of putting him in his car seat, getting to the driver's side, I collapsed. And I remember laying on the hot asphalt, just assessing my life, thinking I've given my whole life to fighting for the hearts of others. And here I am losing my mind, losing my wife, my son's in a hot car, locked in. And then something happened on that, on that asphalt. I remember it was a presence and something like a voice that said, son, which was really powerful, said, son, get up. We can do this together. Mm. And so we went to bed. It was a normal day. I drove my son home. We were sleeping on two twin mattresses in my childhood bedroom on the floor. And we were nose to nose with my three-year-old Joshua. And he was having the time of his life, a road trip with dad, with no sister and no mom. And we were nose to nose. And he said, daddy, you know, we're brothers. And I thought that was the most adorable thing. And I'm thinking, no, theologically, that's not exactly accurate. I'm your dad. You're my son. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just said, slow down, stay here, just be here. And I said, Joshua, what makes us brothers? And he looked at me like, I can't believe you don't know. And he said, well, dad, God is your father and God is my father. And that makes us brothers. And Jared, I found myself learning theology from a three-year-old. He knew something I had yet to learn, something I had yet to recover, to be initiated into. And so I said next, the most important words that I will ever say under this roof in my home, and it was, Joshua, I'm sorry. So sorry. Just like my dad did. I tried to be the strongest man in your world, and I'm not strong enough. But that's really good news. You're right. We both have a father who loves us, who's fighting for us. And our first act is to respond to his love as a son. And so we're going to pray. I'm going to invite God to be my father. And I'm going to 
pray that every day with you if you want to. And Jared, we haven't missed a day mm-hmm. for now some, what, almost 15 years of asking God to be our father. It's changed everything. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying today's interview. I just want to take a quick minute here and pause and thank my friends over at Samaritan Ministries for sponsoring today's podcast. As dads, we know that a medical need can hit our family at any time. So when life happens, there are over 280,000 Samaritan members who will care for you spiritually and financially when you have a medical need, all without the use of insurance. A broken bone, cancer, your wife shares the good news that she's pregnant. You have control over your healthcare choices. You can choose your doctor and treatment, which can include therapeutic massage and non-conventional treatments. Your medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries. They help get you a fair price and then notify members who will pray for you and send you money to help pay for your shareable bills. Healthcare sharing is biblical. As members live out Galatians 6 to bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. And it's affordable with the sharing program for different budgets. Samaritan members send a fixed amount every month directly to another member. The cost for a family of two or more ranges from $155 to $600 a month, depending on the program's selected age and membership size. Samaritan members are Christians who agree to a common statement of faith and strive to live a healthy lifestyle. Their caring and knowledgeable staff is there to pray with you and guide you through every step of the sharing process. As a Samaritan member, you're going to find comfort and support that ministers to all the aspects of your family's health care needs, spiritual, emotional, physical, and financial. You can become a member at any time of the year, even today. Visit SamaritanMinistries.org slash DadTired to see which sharing program is right for you. You know, as I travel around the country and I spend more and more time with guys, one thing I keep saying is I feel like we are there. Most of us men are just boys in adult clothing, you know, Mm -hmm. like we're just, I I don't care how confident the man looks or, you know, how successful you strip it all down. And I've had just experience after experience where you see a kind of a strong, confident man, and then you just get a little bit underneath the surface and you find oftentimes a boy who's just in yeah. some ways got some kind of wound uh, or, or just was never fathered well. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and that's me. Like I'll lump myself into that category, man. I'm Absolutely. a 33 year old man that just still struggling with all the same things, yes. uh, you know, and wasn't fathered well. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure all that stuff out on my own now uh, and through the grace of God fathering me as I'm just stepping into that. But for those guys who resonate with that thought, who are like, man, I, if I'm honest, I feel that. What, do you, what have you found to be like helpful self-assessment questions that kind of allow, when you ask this question of yourself, it allows some space for the Holy Spirit to really like start to father you, for God to start to father you the way that he desires to father you? Yeah, that's, I mean, you you ask really great questions, Jared, because you're getting to the heart of it. It's uh, well done. I can tell you've done the work in your own soul. Mm. And Jared, you're becoming the kind of person that can father others well out of what you've received. I I feel that from you. So well done. Damien, you're getting me emotional. It's true. Um, I wrote the Becoming a King study guide very um, carefully over time, over 10 years, as a process of journeying with a man through those questions, because these things do take time. And so 
I would say the Becoming a King study guide for the man that's really interested in trying to recover those questions. It's a, it's a personal and intimate journey over time. Um, but having said that, two questions in it that are just super helpful is what's not working and where do I feel behind? Mm. What's not working and where do I feel behind? And if you just keep going below the surface, go to the next level, it's called a root cause analysis and get to the deepest level that you can recover, those will often lead you to a treasure. But here's another piece is it's not only the questions, it's what do I do when the boy in me presents himself? Here's what I mean. You just said something really informative. It can be condescending to think boys in a man's body in a man's world, right? It's caused a lot of damage. I've caused major damage in my marriage because of uninitiated places. But it also can be hugely orienting to understand that there are many parts of us inside our soul that have broken off and fractured and are wounded that are younger than our most mature self. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of me that's 44, but there was a part of me last week that was 12 years old that received Christ and got healed and integrated. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it did is I have eyes to see when I go sideways, I have to ask the question, where's this coming from? And the question, how old am I? Mm -hmm. So I was in a podcast with some men and uh, it was really interesting. They were Catholic, and I'm not often in a Catholic community, but I was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy, and I was in the presence of abusive priests. Mm -hmm. And it's a part of my story that I've processed, but I didn't really understand that there was trauma from serving and submitting under abusive priests. Mm -hmm. And these Catholic brothers were really good men with stout hearts that love well and, and one man looked me in the eye and said, I'm so sorry for how you suffered. And my heart rose up and all of a sudden I was 12 years old. Yeah. And I could have said, oh, thank you so much and just received it as kind of inspiration or caring. But what I've learned is to steward the boy inside the man. And so right there in the middle of the podcast, I said, hey, Jake, let me explain what's happening. There's a 12-year-old inside of me. He's back in the in sacristy, I think it's called, behind the altar where that priest used to be with me. And he's pissed off and he doesn't know Jesus. Mm. And so can we just pray right now and let Jesus take care of the 12-year-old in me? And they, those guys said, far out, let's do it. And so we prayed right there on the podcast. I don't know what they did with it, but the idea is strike while the iron's hot. When you go sideways, there's a reason. When you go passive, when you go angry, when you get overwhelmed, when you arrange for life apart from God, often below the warfare, below the agreements we made with lies, there is a wounded boy. And to give him compassion, to give him room to say what he needs to say, to feel what he needs to feel and to do what he needs to do. And then Jesus can come and heal that boy. And Jared, what's so cool is he can be integrated. Literally, that portion of my heart has been restored. And I feel completely different in this moment telling that story Mm. than I did a week ago. And he was in me for decades. Mm. 
that is that is so healing for me and really really well said like that is going to i'm going to hang on that i'll probably steal it but obviously give you credit in many ways you don't have to (laughs) stolen everything take it yeah do it man that is that's so helpful i think that's going to be helpful for a lot of guys yeah and i think that's better said than the way i said it um i think that that's a better way of saying it that there are fragments of us um that are just like man that that part of me is still eight years old, 12 years old, 15 years old, whatever. And that part of me still needs the redemption and the grace and the rescue of Jesus to come yes. in and, uh, and to the just pause and to say, you know, Jesus, would, would you come in? Would you redeem? Would you save that yes. fragment of me that has yet to be, experience your kingdom? And, uh, man, that is, that is so healing for me. Even as you say it, I have a feeling it's going to be really he- healing for a lot of guys. I'm even thinking through the last two days, uh, my, my wife and I have just been off. We've been missing each other. You know what I mean? Like you, you've been married long enough where you just know, like it's just something, something, something's off. Yes. And, uh, and we've both felt it. And yet this morning at breakfast, she's the one that initiated the elephant in the room. And mm-hmm. so we talked and there were some tears and we had some good conversation and, you know, we came back together and we, we sought oneness again. But even I walked away from that conversation encouraged that we had it. And there was some form of just, you know, again, healing and relationship on a small level, but also discouraged it myself for like, why did, why was I the one that wasn't, how come I didn't initiate that conversation? We both knew something was there and yet I didn't want to step into that hard thing. And so she, even as when the moment she brought it up, I immediately felt convicted. Like she mustered up the courage to speak first, to step into something hard first and that should have been me, man. And so even just hearing you say that, like what, what boy, <laughs> what fragment right. was scared to step into that conversation first? Totally. Um, that's, just, that's me processing out loud here. <laughs> no, it's so good. And, what we, and here's why that's so important. What you just shared, Jared, is when we shift from Christianity being some fixed decision and set of beliefs to an actual process of deeper and deeper apprenticeship into wholeheartedness as a man or woman in deeper union with God, there's always frontier that's so exciting. It's so hopeful and there's always more. And so even in that situation, you know, my wife has told me through all of our our fumbling over the two decades, what she first and foremost wants is just access. I think it's so many other things. I think it's being heroic. I think it's coming through. I think it's initiating. I think it's being sensitive. She wants access. Mm -hmm. And so as you tell that story, once the boy is receiving care and receiving love, actually one of the strongest actions you can take is to move towards your wife and, and to say, and tell me her name. Layla. Layla. That's a beautiful name to say, Hey, Layla breakfast the other morning. I just want to visit that for a moment. And just to be known, as soon as you initiated it, I felt sad because I want to become the kind of husband that initiates our engagement over conflict and is the first one to act and the first one to apologize. And I don't really know what to do with all of that right now, I just know that it's bringing up some places in my story and I know there's wounded parts in me, 
but I just want to be known and in, in risk inviting you in to what I'm really feeling. Like that's actually powerful. Yeah. That's actually masculinity yeah. at work. Yeah. Well, I've told a million guys that, but I, uh, it'll be another thing for me to actually live it and to have that conversation <laughs> myself. Man. It sure is. It's scary as hell. Yeah, man. Uh, dude, I, I want to go down every, every kind of, you know, trail that we've gone down so far. I just want to keep going down it, but I'm also trying to be conscious of our time. And I just want to pick your brain at, you know, for every ounce that I can get out of you. Uh, One, one thing that I wanted to bring up and just hear your thoughts are something that I've been passionate about. I talked to a lot of guys about this is I, I just have come again to another conclusion. I think a lot of guys in the church world are bored. And, uh, and, and I think that they're, you know, they're longing for it to be part of a story that kind of yep. gets them excited Absolutely. and, uh, and they're just, they're simply not finding it with what we're as church leaders, oftentimes offering them, right. um, you know, oftentimes the story of adventure that we've called them into is like, can you come set up chairs or can you pass the communion plate? All things oh. that need to happen, but definitely not going to scratch the itch of the yep. soul. That's like, man, I want to, I want to take risk. I want to be a little bit afraid for the glory of God. And, uh, and so I, I asked John this question when he was on, cause I know obviously this is something he's real passionate about too, but I'd love to hear your thoughts, man. Like when it comes to just this longing for a man, um, to, to step into something that scares him a little bit, what are your thoughts on that? And then I have a follow-up question specifically sure. for the wives. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, I talked earlier about life and nature has a story form to it. And our hearts are the epicenter of what God has set within the human person. It's where we fundamentally bear the image of God. And so the human heart will gravitate towards the biggest, best story it can find. And that's so important, especially to understand parenting, because we will gravitate towards the best story we can find in high school best story I knew was being elected president every year, which I did successfully for five years, having a hot girlfriend, getting laid and getting drunk. Yeah. Wait, hold on. I got to pause for a second. Why were you in high school for five years? <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Eighth grade. There <laughs> okay. you go. Eighth grade, like nine, 10, 11, 12. That's so like funny. You shouldn't have been the president, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. No one's asked that question. I don't think I've ever framed it that way. I love it. Okay, but I got eighth, the rest of it. A lot of us can, yeah. yeah we'll eighth get... <laughs> grade student body elected and something was validated, right? Yeah, something yeah, yeah. made me feel like a man. And so those things I just named, I'm not proud of any of them, but they were where I felt good felt strong, yep. felt masculine. They were the best story. And in religion and Jesus and everything that whiffed of God around my story was not that attractive. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm a life, I'm a hedonist. I'm a life seeker. I went to the biggest, best story I could find. And that's why when I met John, he presented a gospel that made all those stories actually look small. Mm that actually there's a story that contains every other story. It was a gospel big enough for the human heart. And it actually was bigger than these limited stories that didn't explain grief. They didn't explain why I couldn't maintain integrity. I didn't want to cheat on my girlfriend. Why was I? I, I had a divided heart and I didn't understand, mm -hmm. right? What I want to do, I don't do. So the question is, what is the gospel you have been led to believe 
And what's the gospel you're inviting other people into? And so by way of illustration, my kids have a really big board on their bedroom wall. It's a four by eight plywood sheet that we built. That's their vision quest board. And on it, it has the central questions we're after. Who is God? Really? Who am I? as a man or my daughter, as a woman, and individually, what's my name in heaven? Who did God make me to be? What is the story in which we were born into? And what is my frontier? What is the edge of my risk and faith, courage, hope, and love? And those four questions frame their initiation. And those boards are littered with signs and symbols of experiences that Mm. we've gone through that fill out the story of God initiating my children into wholehearted maturity. And what's so fun is they have some really big stories. Joshua loves lacrosse. He's really good. He's a defensive beast and he just loves hitting people. He loves training. He loves eating. He's, he, he, he lives for it. But here's what's so fun, Jared, is it's not a big story mm. because it fits in the context of a larger story. And that's God's story of initiating him into maturity. I wrote Becoming a King, and I worked on it for two decades. It's a really big deal. It's my life stewarding for two decades what God's been entrusted to my care. And in the service of God's larger story, it's not a big story. And so what we're learning in our household is how do we see all these stories that have a tendency to feel really big, life or death, right? Lacrosse was canceled. It was the first varsity practice. And that was the end of the season, the first practice. And he had trained all year and really trained four years for it. It was gone. If that was his biggest story, he's crushed. But when you have God and his kingdom as your greatest story, the place of greatest risk, greatest joy, greatest faith, greatest curiosity, greatest learning, then you'll never settle for a small story. And so at 44, I feel like I am just getting going in my life with God. Mm. And it fills my hunting and it fills my, my study and it fills my sex life. Like all of them are infused because of God in his kingdom. And so the question is, what is the gospel you're actually modeling for your family? Well, bro, I just need to take all my thoughts and then just run them past you first. And you just say them much more beautifully than I can. So that's, that's <laughs> no, because I've screwed up. I've screwed up so many ways and so many times. Oh, this is so I'm good. I'm not wasting my pain. Oh man, this is so good, man. Well, my follow-up question to that was for a lot of wives, I imagine, I'm going to make a general statement here, um, but for a lot of wives, it, it would seem, and I'm just kind of basing this on friends and, and relationships and friendships that we have, but it seems like, you know, that a man kind of longs for like, I want to be part of something bigger. And we often settle for lesser stories, whether yeah. that be fantasy football uh, or, you know, I'm naming all my own smaller stories or the, my pontoon boat that I really want, or my new little, you know, gun that I just bought, whatever the thing is, you know, all the, these smaller stories that, or sometimes for men, it's much, uh, more destructive, small stories, right? right? Pornography, cheating, whatever the thing is, uh, overworking, whatever the thing is that, you know, we're chasing after in that small story. But what, uh, my follow-up question is, 
it seems like maybe wives would just say, listen, I don't want you to chase all these other things. <laughs> I just want you to be like stable, you know, like just yeah. be, just show up, you know, just, just make sure you're stable at home and like maybe help with the dishes and with the kids and like, make sure you got the paycheck coming in, but just, can you, can you provide some safety for us? Yes. How does that reconcile with that longing for adventure that a man has? If I was sitting, you know, the, the kindest way I can respond to that is not to women, but to a woman. I think, Jared, my heart, I feel the emotion rise. And what I would love is to sit eye to eye with every woman listening to this podcast and say, tell me your story of why you've landed in that place when you have settled Mm. for so little out of your man. And I have empathy. I have compassion. I understand the women have been so hurt and so disappointed that they actually will take very little and be satisfied. You know, like Lewis talks about it. The problem is not that our desire is too strong. It's that it's too weak, Mm. right? He said, we're half-hearted and we settle for a mud puddle when a holiday at the sea is made available to us. And so what I would say is, you're worth more than that. So like, let's dream. What would you love? And what if it's possible? But what if it only comes through the door of restoration? Restoration of your heart as a woman and his heart as a man. And I believe if we could fight for the restoration of the whole person, then what we would bring home is not only what she's asking for, but far more. And and I'll give a real quick example. So I grew up golfer, suburban, not an outside kid that much. Um, My dad grew up super poor and he wanted to provide money for his family. So he became a doctor. And so he was financially um, well off in our childhood, but was never around. And I longed for things of like wilderness, of like um, archery hunting and fly fishing, but I was scared. I was still a little boy, even in my 20s. But as I began this process of initiation, I began to ask God to father me in those areas. And so I started taking hunting trips and learning about hunting. And I realized it's really good for the soul to take like multiple days. Now, when you have young kids, no one does that. Yeah. And My wife learned early because of healthy mentoring, bless the boy in your husband, bless Mm. him, Mm. champion him so that he can go after God and be restored because the man that he will become is worth it. You will be the fruit bearer. Mm. And so all the other wives would get pissed at my wife and they would be, I can't believe you let him go. I can't believe how long I can't believe. And I felt like I can't believe she lets me go. And But she took a risk. She risked in faith, hope, and love, Jared, that it was worth it. And what she would tell you, and I wish she was here, is that I came back from every one of those hunts a better man, a more wholehearted man, a more initiated man. Some part of my question was answered. The boy found a father. I found a process of initiation that changed how I related to my family at the dinner table, Mm. how I related to my in-laws. And so she was the beneficiary. And so those women listening, I think I want to say, I'm sorry 
I'm sorry for how you've suffered, but wanting less from your husband won't ever give your heart what you need. What would it look like to champion his heart and at the same time, do your own work, bless him to do his work and to be a man and come alive and you do the same and tend to your own heart and check back in with me in a decade. It's going to be great. (laughs) And I think the key there is uh, that both of you are searching out the work that Christ is doing in you to restore you. Um, because I, because a wife hearing that and think, well, yeah, it must be nice to send my husband out and he's going to get drunk while he's, you know, camping with backpacking with his friends or whatever. That doesn't really sound like a man that's becoming more whole and then coming back and returning as a, as a better father and husband and man that God's calling him to be. So I think what sticks out to me is that's two people saying there are parts of me that need restoration and I'm going to chase after them so that I can come back and be the wife, the the mom, the the woman that God's called me to be, and I can be the the man, the husband, the father that God's called me to be, yeah. and giving each other the freedom to do that together. Uh, and and I and I imagine that takes a ton of intentionality um, for a couple to get to that spot. Um, yeah, and but you start today, right? Yeah. You start with the questions: What do you want? What do you want? And and God is very committed to our restoration. He is very much at work and he's looking for our response. And so there is much hope in this arena. Yeah. Morgan, thank you, man, for taking the time for, for everyone listening. Uh, you, you've got your new book out. We've kind of alluded to it multiple times, obviously that a lot of this content is in the book and you've got a podcast out. Um, and so you're, you're putting a lot of great content where guys can get more, but becoming a king is a book and it's doing very well. I'm so excited to see it's just, you know, it's, it's exploding. I'm seeing it all over social media and people have got it in their hands, which is really, really good. I think it's one of the best books that we've had in, in probably decades when it comes to mm-hmm. manhood. So I'm going to give just for our listeners, my personal endorsement, man, it's a, it's a very, very, very good book. And, uh, and I've found healing in it and I know a lot of guys are going to find healing in it too, as they read it. But thank you for hanging out, man. I wish we could spend some more time together. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, Jared, it's an honor. I love what you're doing going after these men. And I just, um, I'd love to just bless the guys if I could do that. Please, Um, Because I I just feel like we've we've raised some things and it can feel overwhelming. Yeah. And so, Father, I do just bless these listeners. I bless the wives. I bless the men. And God, you say your yoke is easy and the burden is light when we are grafted into you. And so, God, all this that Jared has shared and I've shared today, I pray that you would help the allow it to find each heart in the portion, in the space that you intend. God, what is it that you're after? What are you revealing? What do you want to celebrate in my life? And where do you want to offer your strength to lead me into deeper healing and deeper restoration? God, I want more of me to be given over to more of you. And so even in my pain and confusion and fear, I choose, God, afresh to say yes 
I say, I give you permission and I give you access. I want to become your son and I want to receive you as my father. Amen. Amen, man. You brought me closer to Jesus today. Thank you for spending the time, man. Yeah, it's mutual. Thanks so much, Jerry. Let's, Let's do it again. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast. Just as a reminder, our family leadership program is open and about to start our December cohort. So if you want to get involved, go to dadtired.com forward slash lead, L-E-A-D, and jump into that cohort. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.